podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Looking for a new career? Welcome to Do HVAC Training Service Center in North Charleston. Enroll today in our comprehensive HVAC training hands-on field experience-based program covering troubleshooting, maintenance, installation, and more on various HVAC systems and ductwork. We offer EPA and NAIT preparation and testing along with various certifications. Enjoy payment options. Take advantage of their November specials. Achieve certification in under five months. Enroll now for your new journey of skill development and career advancement. Log on to DEWH HVACTrainingSC.com to register. Hello and welcome to Lakeside Drive. In this episode, we're going to chat about the F1 Academy, which has just finished two days of testing in Barcelona and which will have its first race in just a few weeks. And we're also going to try and answer that question, probably with not much luck, of what is happening with W Series. joined today by the jingle master himself, James Baldwin. Welcome. Yeah, okay. I don't want that title. You can uh, you can take yeah, that back and give it to somebody title, else. Uh, <laughs> hi, nice to be here. Thank you. Thank you, Freya Brolsma, who uh, you, re- you consistently don't say your own name on your own podcast. So uh, welcome also to you, Freya. It's good to be here on my own podcast. Yes. Why, why, why would I say my own name when everybody else seems to be able to say it, which is quite surprising, actually. It's not, not always the norm. And today will definitely be an opportunity for me to butcher plenty of other people's names um, because we are talking about the amazingly international and diverse group that is the F1 Academy drivers, but we'll get stuck into that in just a bit. Um, Between the 15 drivers, they have accumulated over 1,800 laps in the last few days for the first time for all of them in this specific car. Um, And there's more pre-season testing to come next week in France. So with all of this activity, great time to take a bit of a closer look at the F1 Academy. Do you know much about it, James, or is this all going to be news to you as well? (laughs) Look, I think for most people it's going to be news. Uh, We know I think the top line uh, situation, which was W Series, was really struggling financially last year. They had to pull the pin on uh, the final rounds of the series. At the same time, there was big calls from people like Lewis Hamilton to go and financially support that series. But at the same time, Formula One was working in the background, Stefano Domenicali specifically, to set up this F1 Academy, uh, which is now, of course, run or headed up by Susie Wolf. So from that point of view, I think most people probably are up to speed with that. Uh, it'll probably be a big news to many people that they've done any testing at all. It certainly was to me to read this just before we started recording. I had absolutely no idea that they'd gone on track, which is very exciting. But as you said earlier, the bigger question out of all of this is what is happening to W Series as well. So from a, from a point of view of what F1 Academy is, what it's trying to achieve, we're probably all relatively maybe in towards the same book, let alone on the same page. Maybe we've picked up the book to look at the front cover. So long as there's pictures, that makes me happy because I don't like reading. Uh, but it'd be interesting to, to see what you do. Just don't judge it by its cover. That's the number one rule there. It's, it is an interesting one. Like you said, I think when F1 kind of didn't jump in to to save W Series. Their people were starting to ask questions in terms of what's your plan here and are you about to launch your own your own gig in this area, which is exactly what they were preparing for. But as you mentioned, we've got the legendary Susie Wolf as managing director, and just to to cover that off in terms of what Formula One 
um, what the F1 Academy is. It's a Formula One project with the aim of developing and preparing female drivers specifically to progress to high levels of competition. And I just wanted to talk about Susie Wolf as the managing director for a minute because I've noticed there's been a little bit of commentary recently, um, particularly um, in that kind of drive to survive context, I suppose, that she is Toto Wool's wife and doesn't have much else to offer. But as many of our listeners will know, but as some might not, she has been in motorsport for over 20 years, started in karting like everybody else, <laughs> um, went to Formula Renault, DTM. She's been the first woman to take part in a Formula One race in over 22 years. She then, of course, um, you know, eventually became CEO of Venturi Racing. She has really earned her stripes and I think it's really exciting for the F1 Academy to have her at the helm. Um, I think when they added her name to the kind of people who were involved, it certainly added an element of credibility to what it is that they're trying to achieve because of her history in the sport. Um, so that was something that was that was really exciting. And, of course, it's not the first thing that she's been involved in when it comes to trying to progress um, women's motorsport involvement, including launching Dare to be Different, um, which is very much looking at inspiring the next generation of female participation at all at all levels of, of motorsport. So like I said, I just wanted to highlight that because I think there's been some interesting comments around recently about, you know, what her credentials are, so to speak. Who's saying that? Is, and can um, you shut up? Because yeah, you're just, just wrong. Just mind-boggling. <laughs> Every time I get into the comments, I am reminded myself of the number one rule of don't read the comments. It's wildly upsetting. Um, But then I also go, well, what can you do about it? And put that information out there, which is is really fun. Um, But back to the academy itself, what is interesting here, I think, in comparison to some other initiatives is that it doesn't have a singular kind of focus goal on trying to, for example, create the first female Formula One driver. It's very much about giving individuals who are young, who have shown talent in junior categories, including karting, with access to that kind of base level experience that's needed in order to progress through the stages to Formula One, with that being a potential end point once we've actually increased that foundational experience that we're seeing, you know, obviously the male karters and and young drivers get get because they have those opportunities, um, obviously, and also a future in in the sport. Um, And very much doing that by giving them access to cars, putting those cars on track, racing, testing, um, as well as help with the technical, physical, and of course, mental preparation. So I think, again, just thinking about what it is and what it's trying to achieve, we've got to kind of think about this as a bit of a startup in in certain ways, because I think the success of it is going to be judged very harshly, very quickly. And you think about many other sports in their early days, weeks, months, years, and a business as well. And this is a startup, you know, it's, it's going to take a while to figure out its flow and, um, you know, it's, it's fan engagement and also the, the future opportunities for, um, for these drivers. So I think like one of my, we'll talk about the challenges that it's going to face a bit later, but one of my concerns for it is that it just gets judged too, too harshly, too quickly for something that is so new. I think also, and looking back to the Australian Grand Prix weekend, if, if any of our listeners were, were there and you think about the level of racing that we saw with F2 and F3 cars on track, now, it was brilliant. It was really, really exciting to watch uh, and especially through the chicane section, 
which is where most crashes and spins happen because they're pushing the limits. <laughs> uh, they'll be the same in this too. And I know that, um, look, I mean, the reality is more racing is not a bad thing. And at, at the end of the day, you, you, if we love motorsport, as much as there's about 4 billion races of Formula 1 each year, um, we can look at other series and get excited about it. I mean, obviously, you and I, from an extreme A point of view, we get excited about, about that. There's others like Campy who love watching Fink. I think he's the only person to watch the Fink Desert Race here in Australia. Um, <laughs> but he still loves it. And Don't the more the merrier. The supercars. Uh, yes, there's also supercars, um, which is I'm going to start renaming the uh, Crompo and Scafe show. Um, who's going to kill who first? We'll find out after this break on 10 or 7 or Fox or whoever has the rights to that now. But I think for this, it, it, going in with an open mind is incredibly important and staying there too. Uh, yes, don't read comments. Stay off F1 Twitter and um, everyone's an idiot until proven otherwise. <laughs> Agreed there. I won't argue with that. It's it's going to be an interesting one, like I said, to see how it works. So let's have a talk about how the actual calendar and and weekend will will play out and what we're seeing so far in terms of what the structure of a race weekend will be. There is a lot of racing and this is going to be one of those ones that I say, bear with me for a minute. It does all make sense when you read through it a couple of times in terms of what the, what the structure is. But basically the calendar has 21 races over seven rounds of racing. So while they've said that they're going to try and feature as many F1 tracks as possible, this year there will only actually be one Formula One race that they will be supporting at, which is Coda in October. But next year F1 has said that the, that F1 Academy will be aligning with the um, 2024 F1 calendar, which is fantastic. Like that's to me it's an absolute no-brainer. It's the same with Formula Two. There is absolutely no reason why you wouldn't where possible, align those events when it comes. It's going to be beneficial for the sport. It's going to be beneficial for fan engagement, people actually watching with it, getting to know the drivers, their stories, all of those things. Um, So that's great to hear that that is a goal for them next year. The other thing that's going to be important with track selection is variety because I think we've got to remember that these are some of these drivers, this is their first time in a car like this. They're coming straight from karting. So variety is going to be really important to help them to develop technical skills across kind of a range of tracks and layouts and to experience all of those different settings um, and learn to adapt. So like I said, we've got 21 races across seven rounds of racing. This year they run between the 28th of April and the 22nd of October and there are some familiar tracks on there. So we've got Austria, we've got Spain, we've got two Spanish races actually, Valencia and Barcelona. They then go to Zandvoort, Monza, and then what I just love, I always forget because they call it Le Casselet, otherwise known as the one with the lines in France, which is no longer on the F1 calendar for good reason. And then they wrap it all up um, as a support race for, in Austin for for the US Grand Prix, which will be a great spectacle for them. And I think that's when it will be great to see actually those those really young drivers out in front of fans, and they'll start getting an idea as to what a what a full F one as weekend as a driver could could look like. So, looking at the weekend format. It doesn't take long to realise when we explain the format that for teams to maximise points, managing the whole weekend is going to be super important um, from free practice right through to races. So we've got two 40-minute free practice sessions and two 15-minute qualifying sessions. We then have three races. So race one is 30 minutes race two, 20 minutes, race three, 30 minutes. Three races, two qualifying sessions, 
How do you decide the starting grid? I hear you ask. So the driver who gets pole position from the first qualifying session will start race one from P1. So you get pole, you start at the front, makes sense. The driver who gets pole position in the second qualifying session will start race three from P1. So finish first, start first, makes sense. For that middle race, that second race, that's where it gets a little bit complicated just for a second, just have to think about it. (laughs) The first eight finishers in the first qualifying session will start race two in reverse order. So basically it's a reverse grid for one to eight. So if you qualified lower than ninth or ninth or lower, then you start in your qualifying position. But if you qualified first, you'll start eighth. If you qualify second, you start seventh, third, sixth, et cetera. So the person who qualified eighth will start in first. So that second one is obviously trying to mix it up a bit when it comes to, yeah, we're potentially going to get some really dominant drivers here just from an experience perspective. Um, You know, like I said, we've got some drivers who are coming in direct from karting and others who are coming from W Series, right? So they've actually driven more, um, you know, higher spec cars than this in in a racing format. So I think there is the potential there for there to being some pretty dominant results um, and it's going to help mix it up. But I love a mixed grill, don't you, James? Look, so long as there is uh, as many campyisms as possible to be able to be thrown at something like this, then we can all get behind it. There'll be no excuses whatsoever. <laughs> Someone needs to add that one to the list. I don't think I've seen that pop up yet. If We're referring to our Discord if you're wondering where we've got a great channel where people are having some reflection moments, thinking about all the wonderful things that Campy has contributed to this podcast. Um, so in all races... Race one, two, and three will have our usual um, one point for fastest lap as long as you finish in the top 10. So no points if you get fastest lap but you're outside of the points Um, or if the leader has uh, completed less than 50% of the scheduled race distance. Um, In terms of points, again, it's it's pretty straightforward. There's lots at the top. There's fewer at the bottom. Um, There are more points for race one and three, obviously, because they're the kind of qualifying starting grid races and go for a bit longer race to fewer points. So that's a 25 top score as opposed to a top score of 10 for that, that second, uh, second race. Um, there's a bit of stuff in there about tires, but it's pretty straightforward. Um, we all know that that doesn't matter anyway. <laughs> and they'll all complain about having no tires anyway. if They're learning from, from the best. Um, but there's some pretty familiar teams here, James. Um, the idea with selecting the teams who will be working in F1 Academy um, is that they're established teams, right? They're groups who you'll recognise from F2 and F3. Um, so they're used to working with and building, you know, experience in young drivers, helping them to develop in a really competitive environment. Um, so, you know, I think they're, they're teams that should be pretty comfortable working with this type of driver, if that makes sense, and kind of helping to helping them to learn the ropes. So we've got five teams, Campos Racing, MP Motorsport, ART Grand Prix, Roden Carlin and Prema Racing. So we'll have some nice red cars out there still. Yeah, I mean, this is this absolutely makes sense to me because F2, F3, and I'm just looking on the F2 website and the, the team's all apart from uh, um, from. Campos are in the f- the first order for for drivers, so they know what to do. Also, again, I mean, just to throw back to the Australian Grand Prix, being in the F three and F two paddock with these teams, 
uh, was bloody awesome. The mechanics were awesome. They they wheeled the cars out into the public area so you could have a proper up-close look at what was going on. Um, the opposite of Formula One, they really knew how to connect with fans and try to drive more interest mm, uh, and give a better understanding technically of what thing, uh, how things work and provide opportunities for people like me who know a little bit more about Formula One potentially than others to talk with friends and family around the car and say this is how DRS works, for example, and this is the floor design and this is what it makes sense here. So I think that is a really important thing and also because it then gives an opportunity for these teams to look at this broad range of talent and say, well, what can we do in our other teams in F2 and F3 to maybe open a seat up here too, who otherwise would not have had an opportunity to be looked at properly um, and compared properly by these different teams. So I think from when they announced this standing, it was like, all right, this is legit. There are proper teams with lots of funding who have been around for a long time, who get how this all works from the politics to winning to losing to dumping drivers halfway through, to bringing drivers in towards the very end, like Jack Doohan to to do a couple of races after his F3 career. <laughs> like it makes sense, right? And yeah. I think it also makes sense yeah. from a logistics point of view. Like if you're going to follow the Formula One calendar like F2 and F3 do through the year, then you, you look, you're reducing all these barriers to entry and barriers to consideration for this sport, which I think is just such a brilliant thing. I think it also helps with that kind of, the legitimization of it being a feeder series as well. Like you said, you go, you know, these are teams that are already in F2, et cetera, and they can start keeping an eye on those young drivers to say, right, you know, when we've got a spot opening up, are there any girls here who are going to be as competitive as some of the young boys who we have? And it's going to take a while for that to happen. I, I, like, I don't think anyone's under any illusions that, that um, you know, that's like I said, this is a startup and it's going to take a while and some of them are so new um, to to racing at this level, but it does add that to that kind of, yeah, legitimising the idea of it being a genuine feeder series as well, given that they're teams that exist in the higher categories. So we've gone through the teams. Who are the drivers? Now, just a quick note on the drivers. They all have to be between 16 and 25 for their first race of the season in order to be eligible, and they have to hold a B, C or D international um, FIA licence. But let's take a quick look at the drivers. So Campos Racing, and I'm going to go back to the opening here. I apologise to everybody whose name I'm about to just say horrifically wrong, and I say that as somebody who has always had their name said wrong (laughs) forever and a day. So it's not without empathy that I do this poorly. Um, All right, so Campos Racing, we have drivers from Spain, from France, from Uruguay. So Naria Marti, Lola Lovenfos and Mate Caceres. Caceres? I'm going to go with Caceres. Um, there, <laughs> thank you for that confirmatory <laughs> little nod there. Really good for podcasting. Um, MP Motorsport. So we've got two Emiratis and a Dutch driver, um, racing here. So we've got Hamda Al-Kubasi, Emily de Hus and Amna Al-Kubasi. Yes, they have the same name. Yes, they are sisters. So we've got two sisters lining up against each other for the same team with MP Motorsport. At ART Grand Prix, we've got a Swiss, a German and a British driver. So Lena Bueller, Carrie Schreiner and Chloe Grant. At Roden Carlin, we've got two Brits and a Canadian, Abby Pulling, Jessica Edgar and Megan Jilks. And then over at Prima, I've got a Brit, a Spanish and a Filipino driver, Chloe Chong, Marta Garcia and Bianca Bustamante. Could have been worse. (laughs) 
Very well done. I'm I'm very impressed. Uh, yes, and Thank I'm you. not sure if we mentioned, but yeah, three three drivers per team, which which also is is interesting just from a yeah. um, thinking about strategy point of view too, right? I mean, two cars on track and and how you operate that with pit stops and whatnot. It'd be interesting to see how they operate with three drivers. Um, and what kind of competition it looks like. I mean, to, to have sisters in MP Motorsport is going to be interesting enough. We know what that's like in Rallycross with Kevin and Timmy Hansen as brothers going door to door like full send. But at least in Rallycross you can, um, you know, smash your car into someone else and get away with it. It's probably not so much the thing here. What is this, Formula E? No, it's not. It's F1 Academy. Uh, but <laughs> it will be it'll be interesting to see how that and again it just throws something different compared to Formula Two, Three and One, um, in terms of something to watch. And it's just such a seriously diverse grid. I think it's so cool. Like like tell me the last time we had a Filipino and a Uruguay um, you know, racer line up against each other. It's it's wild. I just think it's the coolest thing ever. Um and it's diverse not just in terms of its nationalities but like I said earlier in terms of its experience you know we've got um some ex W series drivers in here who race in F3 cars we've got some who have done some single seater racing um in other categories like GT racing and now they're back and then we've got others who are literally coming in straight from karting and it was very interesting listening to them actually post that um testing in Spain from those more experienced drivers in comparison to the ones who there was one who has come straight from karting and she was kind of saying I'm going to need to work on my neck strength a little bit. <laughs> you know, this, this is not going to have carry the five Gs that we get in a Formula One car. Its maximum is probably going to be about two. Um, but still coming from karting, that is a big jump. <laughs> yes. Well, only Campy doesn't like carrying 5G. That's uh, He's allergic to that, in fact, 5G. But <laughs> it was interesting looking at the technical spe- specifications of the car. And, yeah, I mean, up to two Gs for, for that lateral movement is interesting. But I think it's a 1.6 turbo four engine. So they're going to sound good too, which is additionally important mm. when it comes to mm. motorsport things. Um, and I think that from a from looking at like a homologation point of view and the fact that they're all going to be the one kind of chassis in the same way that Formula 2 and 3 are, then it really will be about how quickly they can get on top of skills and and getting understanding of tyres and tracks and everything else. So, um, yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting and it will sound good. Yeah, there you go, after 2Gs. There we go. Maximum braking deceleration 1.5Gs, <laughs> 0 to 103.6. It's good. It's going to be, yeah, I mean, going from carts to that, good luck to all of your necks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. But like you said, the um, the having the same spec car um, across the board is going to make it interesting. It's very much going to be, like you said, about who's able to pick it up very quickly. And that's why I think just in terms of those more experienced drivers will probably see um, a bit more of a disparity, particularly at the start of the season. Um, but in terms of who can come up to speed, lol, um, most quickly, I think will we'll be pretty telling in these these cars. So don't shake your head at me like that. We mentioned earlier in the podcast W Series and what on earth is going on there. Now, basically, no one knows. No one actually knows. Anyone who says that they do, I don't believe them at this point. They have been completely silent. Anything on all of their social media is from last year. The most recent thing we have was um, a announcement of kind of, you know, a response to F1 Academy being launched in November, in November last year. It's the last we heard of them. But we do have some interesting signs I think you can look into. So it's worth noting that several of the F1 Academy drivers were W Series drivers 
last season. So Bianca, Emily, Marta, Nuria and Abby and Abby were all W Series drivers literally last year and Jilks was a driver back in 2019. So I kind of go, well, wait a second, you've got, how many is that, five, five drivers who are no longer there um, from last year. And then, of course, you've got Jamie Chadwick who's gone off to Indy. Chloe Chambers has been racing in New Zealand in the kind of Formula Regional Championships and has said on Instagram that she looks forward to continuing this path next year, more plans to be announced soon, which doesn't scream W Series to me. Um, And actually just on that note with Chloe Chambers, she was also the first female pole sitter and winner Um, and she had – just accomplished that before she said that she'd be doing more of that next year. Um, we've also got the Japanese driver from last year. I think she's Japanese, probably need to check that. Um, Juju Nada, who's doing Euro Formula Open 2023. And then you've got uh, Belen Garcia, who's doing endurance racing next year. So basically all of the kind of the, the cohort from last year have almost all entirely committed to other things in the coming year. So I'm just wondering who their drivers are to start off with. Um, And then, of course, there's that question about do you have any money, which based on the end of last season um, is not looking super positive from a funding perspective. But this is very much a wait and see situation. I mean, it's sad, isn't it, that we're still without an understanding of what's going on. But the problem is, no, it's the 14th of April. The year is underway. We are pretty much committed to what a calendar series is and most – I would imagine most venues in terms of racetracks uh, will already be sorted out. The fact that, you know, looking at W Series was at Coda last year with Formula One now has been replaced by F1 Academy. So little instances like that where there just doesn't seem to be room for both, which is a shame. But again, comes back to looking at how hard it is to do motorsport outside of the really big names. Uh, Formula One has the monopoly on it. WRC really struggling. And I need just need to also mention just on that, there's an incredibly sad day with Craig Breen passing away in an accident there mm. too, which is, you know just shows how how fast the bad things can happen. Um, but, you know, WRC used to be amazing. Now it's not, uh, not, as, not as much. And Australian Rally Championship, same again. So for, for this to happen to W Series is an incredible shame, but unfortunately it's not unique in that scenario. You think about here in Australia, TCR. Does anyone remember the last time they watched a TCR race? Even V8 Supercars has completely gone downhill from where it used to be. So it's it's a shame because it could have been merged into being F1 Academy, but probably you know F1 wanted their own thing without the baggage and probably without the debtors. Um, and it's such a shame because the management side and the social media side and the digital side for W Series was brilliant. I had some really, really clever people involved with that whole thing and to not hear anything, uh, you know, it doesn't bode well, which is incredibly sad. Yeah, I think that's what's getting me at this at this point. You know, like you said, you go, it's April. Um, calendars are being locked in for other categories and, you know, the even though the F1 Academy races aren't supporting other F1 races this year, they are support races for other events. So, you know, when you go and look at... Um, uh, Paul Ricard, that's good. There's going to be another event prior to that. You know, there's support races for other racing series still. So like you said, those locations are all, they've, they've got their years, you know, planned out and W Series doesn't appear to be part of that. And I think if nothing else, they need to just come out and call it what it is. And that might be really disappointing for many of us. Like you said, it's just, it's sad, but not necessarily unsurprising. Um, but they need to tell people what's happening and what's not happening. It does feel a little bit kind of 
you know, yeah, I think the di- the silence is, is pretty deafening and they need to come out and tell their, their fans what's going on. Um, but you mentioned challenges that are obviously a lot of them. I think what's going to be really interesting for F1 Academy is accessibility to racing and to content. People have to be able to watch it. And if you can watch it, you will. I think this is the, the biggest misconception with female sport in general. Um, and there's a lot of great sporting commentators out there kind of talking a lot about this at the moment because we've seen such unreal figures um, with so much of um, women's sport, which is getting phenomenal broadcasting now in the US. Still a long way to go, but better than a lot better than it was. And it's, you know, to no one's surprise, when you broadcast it, you put it on prime time or you make it available and easy to find, people watch it. And I think that's the interesting thing with this. I go, F1 Academy, please make this easy to watch. And it, and again, I know you don't read the comments, but if you do read the comments on F1 Academy, go to their Instagram, all of the questions are, how can I view this? How can I watch it? Where can I access it? Will it be streamed? Will it be on your YouTube? Will I, when I go to your website, will there be a click to watch here? You know, it's got to be accessible. And I think it's going to be the, one of its biggest downfalls is that if you, if you can't watch it easily and then there won't be the support for it. Um, so that's one of the, one of the biggest thing challenges, but potentially easily resolved in a lot of ways, just via their own channels, if nothing else. Well, at the end of the day, again, it comes back to Formula One is the biggest motorsport, probably sport in the world that has incredible licensing deals for broadcast tied up all over the world. And they'll just turn to those licensing partners like Fox Sports here in Australia and go, you're putting this on KO. You don't have to pay for it, but you're putting it on. And that's it. Otherwise, maybe you're not going to have yep. an easy access and maybe your price is going to go up soon. Because that's the kind of negotiating I imagine uh, they would have to <laughs> do to, to get it sorted. But otherwise, you know, why why wouldn't you? And and certainly other series do struggle, not just uh, when it comes to women in motorsport or other sports as well, but other series, just full-time series struggle when it's not easily accessible. Um, so they, those lessons will be learned. And I think from from the point of view of the success of F1 Academy, they get to piggyback off of big deals already in place and big swingers like Stefano Domenicali going, I don't care, you're putting this on. And, I mean, I'd hate also to get in the way of Susie Wolf too because she's in, incredible as a leader. <laughs> yeah. um, but I imagine she'll be able to get what she wants, which is success for this this series. Uh, but I also just go, if nothing else, F1 TV, make it happen. You have your own channel here which people are paying to subscribe to. Put it on F1 TV. Why wouldn't you? Like it's just it seems like an absolute no-brainer as a, as a most basic level of access um, to me. But I think that is going to be one of the big challenges, like you said. We'll see um, what happens and if they learn those lessons. I think because of the nature of this category, there's always going to be a compromise between performance and cost effectiveness, which F1 Academy are actually very open about. You know, they've kind of said as part of our design for this car and for selecting the car that we did, that was a big decision that we had to make was compromising performance for for expense basically. Um, But I think it's going to be very hard for people who are interested in investing in these drivers to truly understand how quick they are and how quick they can be um, when they're in, you know, cars that, you know, they're not able to show necessarily show their their true potential in high powered, you know, more high powered vehicles. Um, with that said, because the cars are identical, hopefully there should be more kind of down to driver talent. But I think over the basically the whole kind of setup basically for for a front academy, it's that question over cost effectiveness 
um, versus performance for everything. Do you know what I mean? And we talk about the cars, obviously, but when it comes to media, when it comes to the, what they have access to and all of that type of thing, hopefully, you know, this link with, with Formula One really does help them in the way that, you know, W Series couldn't benefit, I suppose, with having that kind of conglomerate behind you. Um, you would hope just increases the resources, um, even if it's not by, you know, subsidies by other ex- you know resources that they have access to. But I think that's just always going to be a frustrating factor of, oh, could they have made the cars a bit faster or, oh, if only we had this type of broadcasting or oh, only if we had this. And it's just going to be that constant balance between cost and performance. Yeah, well, look, I think they've got the blueprint you know, there's three series already operating in that space in F1, two, and three. So it there is the the recipe for success is there. It's how they are able to enact on it. But uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how it goes for this year, and also for how fans can can follow it along physically, follow it along in 2024 as well. Absolutely. So we only got our first race in a couple of weeks. It is the it starts on the 28th of well, um, free practice starts on the 28th of April um, over in Austria. So. If I can figure out how to watch it, then I will be doing that, James. Will you be behind it? 100%. All right. Well, I think that should give us enough um, to get ready for for this part of the season. It is a really exciting time um, for females who are interested in getting involved in motorsport, not just as drivers as well, I think is important to note too, because through the creation of F1 Academy, you also have all the other roles that go with it. You've got the engineers, you've got the trainers um, and all of the management roles as well. So I think as soon as we get something like this, you know, it, it's, it's opportunities not just for drivers, but for everybody else in the role. But hopefully this has got you a little bit excited about this new part of the calendar this year and next year and anyone who's going to tracks next year will be able to see them um, at um, at least seven, six or seven of the races. So we'll look forward to seeing which ones they're going to be. But thanks for joining me, James. Thank you. Sports Social Podcast Network.